But as we look at this, it reminds us, uh, go back to where our very basic um, understanding of what our purpose is. The Bible says clearly when the Pharisees asked asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of all? He said, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people is the basics of what we are here to to do. And then he gave, and before he left this earth, before he went into heaven, and as he was giving the great commission, uh, telling uh, his disciples what to do, he says, go into all the world. And then he tells them some other things. But he says to go. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at the passage of Scripture, a parable that Jesus told that talks about this whole process of going and why is it so important for us that we're not just called to come and to sit in rows in a church and to sit in a circle in a small group. We're called to get up and go and to go into the world. And so we're going to be looking at this this morning. And I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that this month of August, as we look at these uh, these parables, uh, during the summer we've looked at several different ones, but particularly this month of August, I'm looking at parables that really deal with the focus of what we're to be as a church and what we're to do as a church. And so this parable talks about this once again. Um, in, this, in Luke chapter 14, there's actually a couple of parables here, two or three parables in this chapter. And the first one deals with uh, 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 the thing about it being at a Pharisee's house. And then in verse 15, he begins to tell this parable of the great banquet. And we're going to talk about today this parable, the great banquet, that there's this, uh, uh, there's this banquet that Jesus has for us, God has for us. And he has a lot of chairs around the banquet table. And the chairs uh, are different types of chairs. They're not always the same. They, they stand for different things. So we're going to flesh out what some of these chairs mean today for us personally and help us to think about a little bit about what does it mean for us to understand this parable, not only understand it, but apply it to our lives. So let's first of all go through and read the parable. Then I'll come back and, and go through it again and talk about verse by verse. But let's first read the first part of it. Luke chapter 14, verse, beginning with verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. And then Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his uh, servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Verse 18, But they all alike began to make excuses. And the first said, I just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. We'll talk about that one, too. Uh, The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes out of the city and make them and make them come in so that my house will be full. Now, what's going on here? What's this story all about? Um, A guest is around the table that we're talking about. As you look at the context of this, they're at a Pharisee's religious leader's house and a bunch of religious leaders are sitting around the table. And, And one of them makes this comment after Jesus has told him some other things. He says, blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And so this launches Jesus into a story because the Pharisees just didn't get it. And I want to tell you why in just a moment. Now, a word of context about this as well. You have to understand that in the Old Testament, as we were looking forward to this before this, before this passage came, uh, in the Old Testament, the idea of a banquet or a feast was often used as a metaphor for the coming of God's kingdom. 
It was, it was a way of describing God's kingdom. There was going to be a banquet. The banquet was about the restoration of all the things and the establishment of a new, uh, new community, the kingdom of God. And so this is what uh, this is, is about. For instance, there's a classic example of this in Isaiah chapter 25. It says this in verse 6 of, of chapter 25 of Isaiah. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a, a feast of rich food for all, for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. You see what they're having here? They're having rich food. They're not having tofu. Uh, they're having rich foods, you know. I don't know if it's healthy or not, but it was going to be a great banquet. Then in verse 9 it says, In that day they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in Him, and He saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in Him. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. It says that it's going to be in the future. In Isaiah, it's pointing toward the future. There's going to be a day. There's going to be this great banquet. It's going to arrive. Something's going to happen. And when that day comes, it's going to be the day of salvation for mankind. Everything in the history of the Old Testament points toward this coming of, of the day of salvation. And the host is God. He's preparing this party. And who's it say he's invited to the party in Isaiah? It says all people, all people of all, uh, of all nations uh, that's invited to, a, to this party. It, actually, if you look back and look in the context of that passage, in just a couple of verses in Isaiah 25, the word all is used five times. It's not limited to one ethnic group or one, or one uh, just small group of people. It's, it's basically saying God is, God's interest is that all the chairs be full, filled. But I have to tell you this. This is where the Pharisees got kind of confused about this or just kind of did their own thing. By the time that Jesus came along, by the time that Jesus came along, by Jesus' day, there had been a shift. And all the religious leaders still taught about this great banquet, this great feast that was going to come when salvation would come. But the chairs had been narrowly ex- become, become more inclusive, exclusive in a, in a real sense. And, and, in, and in a real sense, they thought that it was just going to be basically a banquet for the Jewish people, for those people who were religious and spiritual and, and all these types of things. And so when you see this, and, and, and this is the setting here, Jesus is sitting around a table with religious leaders. He starts talking about this. Jesus says to them this. He says, I want to be clear about God's banquet. I want you to be clear about God's banquet. And I want you to know how many open chairs there are at God's table. I want you to know about God's longing for those chairs to all be filled. And so he launches into the story that we just read. And we're going to go back and look at that for a few moments this morning. Now, it's interesting in this story that there's a double invitation as it starts out. And you have to understand the context of this. It first of all says this in verse 16, going back to that. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. The host invites many, many guests. And then in verse 17 it says, okay, that's the first invitation. The second invitation, at the same, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. Now this is how big parties worked in that day. Uh, remember, they didn't have refrigeration. Uh, they didn't have a great postal service. They didn't have texting. They did not have email. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have tweeting or whatever all those things are. It didn't have any of those things. So, you know, instant parties were not in. So what would happen in those days, this first invitation, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. It was like maybe days, weeks, or even months ahead of a great banquet that would go out this invitation. And this invitation would go out to the guests that were going to come, and they would knew about it way in advance. And they were called to reply to this invitation because, remember, once again, to prepare for this, they didn't have refrigeration. They had to know how many people were going to show up for the, you know, how many cows to kill, how many chickens, whatever they're going to have for the feast because they had to do it right then. 
And so on the day of the great feast, these, all these people who'd had the invitations, all of a sudden what had happened, it says, then at the time of the banquet, the day of the banquet, they didn't have clocks either. You know, and, and that a bummer, didn't have a clock, didn't have a cell phone, didn't have something to tell them what to do. You know, but they knew the days. They kind of knew the dates by the sun and all the kind of stuff like that. And the day of the banquet... When all the preparations had been made, all the animals had been killed, everything had been cooked, everything was ready to go, then what would happen is, is that there would be one of the servants or servants would go out and begin to tell all the people who were invited, who had known about this before, who had already, uh, who had already said yes to the invitation. He would go out and say, hey, it's time to come on in. It's ready to come. Come on in. And so there was this double invitation type thing. Now, to say yes to the initial invitation in this culture, which went out weeks or months in advance, and then to not show up at the last minute when the banquet was ready was unthinkable in that culture. I don't know about you, you know, I mean, sometimes maybe you don't take appointments seriously, but, uh, you know, it, this was an important thing. And here's what's really going on with this double invitation thing in this, in this parable that Jesus is telling the story. And I wanted to see this because Jesus is making a staggering claim here. He says the banquet that Jesus is talking about here, of course, is God's banquet, the coming of the kingdom. And the first invitation he talks about had gone out centuries before when God had made a covenant with the people of Israel. And he says, and throughout that whole history, the history of the covenant of the people of Israel, he says, my banquet is under preparation. Salvation, life in the kingdom of God is coming. I'm making preparations. Guys, get ready. It's going to happen. But for centuries, people would read those words. They would dream about this coming of, of the Messiah. And they would get all excited about it. And they waited for it to come. And people waited and waited. And then one day in an obscure town in a little place called Nazareth, this carpenter begins to teach. And he says the words at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark. He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. What was the good news? The good news was is that God's kingdom had come to earth. The party was here. The banquet was about to begin. And but people still didn't get it, so they asked the question, when's the party going to happen? Well, Jesus says to them clearly, I'm it. The party is me. Now, that's a little strange to think, not me, Jesus. But the thing is, we have to understand, the great feast has begun, he says to them. And if you want to know about life in the kingdom of God, if you want to taste it and see how good God is, come to me, Jesus says. This is the second invitation. He first had talked about the banquet, and then he makes this second. This is what they're talking about in this passage here in, in, in Luke chapter 14. This is just not a nice story about being responsive to God. This is Jesus is claiming here in his person, in his teaching, to be the climax of all history. And the salvation of the human race, the party the world has waited for, has ached for, has hoped for, has started. It has come. And then the second invitation goes out, and we understand what that means. Uh, but the thing is, is, is that the, the Jewish people already knew about the first invitation, that Jesus was coming, but they just didn't, they decided to ignore it. Now, it's, it's interesting here in this parable, the way it's laid out, that when you hear this, people understood about this banquet. They're, they're waiting for it. But then in this story, something horribly wrong happens. The people have been waiting for the invitation. They'd already initially made, uh, accepted the invitation. They began to make excuses. 
In verse 18, verse 18, uh, the first person makes an excuse. Um, uh, and, and, and it's kind of a strange excuse. They say, um, it says in verse 13, but they all like began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please excuse me. Now you're thinking, this must be some kind of cultural thing. People buy stuff at sight unseen. No. How many of you ever bought a house that you never looked at? Anybody here ever done that? Maybe somebody has. Maybe, but no, I mean, I'm not saying that maybe your wife looked at it and then you decided to buy it and you were like other side of the world or something. I've heard that occasionally from cat people. You know, well, you know, this is what happened. But you know, how many of you go out and buy something that important, like a house, without looking at it? Well, in that culture, it was no different. People, uh, there was actually a Jewish saying, a Hebrew saying, it says this, no one buys a field in the Middle East without knowing it like the palm of his hand. Because land was scarce. And so when this guy gets this excuse, well, well, yeah, you know, I bought a field, I hadn't seen it yet, I got to go out and look at it. That was a made-up excuse. Just, just plain made-up. It wasn't even true. It was just an excuse he made. And then the next guy comes along and he says this in verse 19. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Now, in that culture, we don't, I mean, I don't know how many of you have oxen. I don't have any, you know, whatever, don't understand about oxen. But let me explain something about oxen that I did read. That oxen are like cattle. They have to work in teams together. And one of the things you do in that day and age, before you bought oxen, when you bought a team of oxen, five oxen, is you went and you saw them working together as a team before you'd buy them because they were just a bunch of, you know, rebellious oxen and they'd do their own thing. Then what had happened, they were worthless. And so no one would go out in that culture and buy a bunch of oxen. It was a huge investment. It was a huge investment. They wouldn't go out and do that without first having tested them. And so this is just another excuse. It wasn't a reality. It was just an excuse. And then the third guy comes along, and this is the one you laughed at earlier. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Now, I don't know why that was funny. But, you know, when I read that earlier, some of you got, like, snickered. Like, you know, does being married mean you can't, what is it? Like, what's the problem there? I don't know. The, you know, let me, let, me give you, let me give you something else here. It says, I just got married in this, in this one. But really in the text, in the, in, the, in the Greek originally, it doesn't say just got. This is what it really says. It says, the text simply says, I married a woman. I cannot come. I was going, oh my gosh, that is, I don't want to get into that one. Uh, it could be dangerous, you know. That's literally what the text says, though. I married a woman, so I cannot come. And here's, that's my excuse. I'm married, I cannot come. Now, here's the deal. All of these are, are, are illegitimate excuses. They're, they're not legitimate excuses. This is a story, this is not a story about people with scheduled conflicts. This is a story about people who knew what was going to happen. They had already accepted the invitation. They know it was going to be, usually you still knew it was going to be within a time frame. They usually told you weeks out or months out. They didn't say, they said this week or whatever that it was going to happen. And so these people knew what was going to happen. Do you think the guy, you know, the person who said, you know, I have to go look at a field, the person who's going to look at the ox, the person that was married, didn't already know that this was about to happen? But they make excuses. This is what's been going on. Jesus announces, this story's about this. Jesus announces the kingdom of God is at hand. 
What the human race has always wanted, uh, waited for is now available and anybody can come to the party. Anybody can walk in and take a seat at the table. And the problem here, what this is about is this, the religious leaders, these Pharisees, the religious leaders, those who should have been first, don't like that everybody can come because they become so exclusive in their mindset. And they start making excuses. You know, you read in Scripture, what were the excuses that people didn't accept Jesus Christ for? The Pharisees. He's a, he's a, he's a friend of sinners. He's a glutton. They call Jesus that. He's, he, they make all kinds of, uh, all kinds of excuses about it. He's a half-breed. He's a Samaritan. They say that in Scripture about Jesus. They make excuses. I can't make it. I cannot come. The question is here this, is how does the host respond to that? How does the host in this parable, God being the host, how does he respond to that? Will, will God soften his approach because of the re- rejection? Will he maybe spend less time with sinners? Is that what he decides to do because all these religious people decide that this is not what they like? No, what he says to them is, is this. They, they, you know, these religious leaders, they're kind of the A-list people. The A-list people that got, you know, put into the party, they're, they're the ones, the first ones there. And, and they think that if, if we can't be a part of the party, the party's not going to go on. Because we are, you know, the pious, the religious. But it says in, it says in verse 21, it says, uh, it, it says there that he, uh, the servant came back and reported this to the master and, and then the owner of the house became what? Angry! What was, what was the host angry about? He was angry. God was angry in a sense here, if we look at this with God. God was angry of the condition of people's heart. They'd become hardened. They didn't want to, they didn't see other people as needing God. They thought they were, they had an exclusivity about God. Now, that happens sometimes in our lives. We don't think that happens to us. No, we're, we're very open to people. But the reality is this. Sometimes in our lives, when we, have, we, we show the same exclusivity, the same lack of, of being open to other people, when we don't, you know, when we uh, uh, just got to get settled. Let me tell you this. We get settled in our small group. Us three and no more. Or us four and no more. I think that's actually the, the phrase I've heard before. You know, I like us so much. We're just going to hang out together. And the rest of the world, we don't ever say this, but the rest of the world can go to wherever they're going to. And we really don't care. We don't say that, but, but by us becoming kind of inclusive and drawn around together and, 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 and keeping our chairs turned in and looking at each other, what happens is we have the same attitude. As a church, we can have that attitude. We've arrived. Man, we, you know, we got, this room is fairly full this morning. Probably be fairly full the next service. Man, we've arrived. You know, we do have a few empty chairs, but we've arrived. That's the attitude that God says. That's what this... So the banquet is for everyone. It's not just for the chosen few. So how, do we ha- how does the host say that we need to handle it? If we realize that's the truth, how do we handle it? It says... And then he says this, the host... The owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. The A-list guys aren't coming. I mean, they make excuses about everything. Go out in the streets and the lanes and bring in the poor. You know, let's have a party for the people that nobody has a party for. 
Because in that day and age, when you threw a party, you threw a party for people like you because you could get something in return. You know, you, you go to their party, they come to your party. We, they bring gifts. They do all kind of stuff. These people he's saying to go out to, these were the beggars. He says, go out and reach out to these people because, because these are the people that's invited to the party as well, into the kingdom of God as well. Reach out to them, the people that nobody throws a party for. It's kind of like I was in them. One time flying, I don't fly a whole lot, but uh, one time I remember flying. I think, I can't remember which, which flight it was, but uh, I was flying and, and I was sitting, I was sitting coach, you know, that's standard, you know. I've never flown first class. I'm not, don't, don't feel sorry for me though, because that's all right. But I was, remember sitting there and there's this guy sitting over from me and it was, the plane was packed. The plane was just pl- packed and it was just really, really, really packed. And so there was this guy sitting over near me and this guy looked like, I mean, he was not dressed very well. And he, you know, everything, he didn't look like the kind of guy you'd normally see flying, you know? And for some strange reason, a stewardess comes up to him and says, sir, uh, we, we overbooked this flight. Would you be willing to move up to first class? We have a couple of seats there. His eyes lit up. You know, here's this guy who's probably, you know, I'm just guessing, but, you know, probably didn't fly. He didn't fly a lot because he was really nervous. Here's a guy who could barely probably afford coach, and all of a sudden he finds himself in first class with all the, you know, the food and, and the pampering and all the stuff that goes on up there. I've seen it from a distance. And, 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 and the thing is, and the thing is, is that that's kind of like, like, like the, 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 uh, the master says, he says, go out and get the people who can't afford coach. Put them in first class. Because they're invited to the party as well. See, that's what Jesus says the kingdom is like. A bunch of people who couldn't even afford coach find themselves going to first class with a banquet of, of incredible stuff, invited to forgiveness, invited with God's grace, love, joy, and purpose. But then the story goes on in verse 22. It says, sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. There's still empty chairs. What are we going to do about that? You know, he first had sent him out into the alleyways in the city right around him. He said, go, go out close to you, you know, and get those folks. Then he says this. He says, he says uh, in verse uh, 23, he says, then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and make them come into the, my house may be full. At first he said, you know, go out close by and, and reach out to those people. Now I say, said, since those people have filled up the place and we still got room, then what I want you to do is go out even further, continue out and in, in further, a farther, a farther place to go. In other words, even beyond the city where you may not normally go. And he uses a word, in this translation doesn't use the word the same way. It says, and make them come in. And the word in some translations is compel them to come. Compel them to come. What does that mean? What is, that, what is he saying to the servant? He's saying, by compel, it does not mean force them, you know, to, you know grab them and, and force them to come. But he's saying to them, you have to understand in a sense, and this is important, you have to understand the etiquette in that society to get what the master is saying when he says compel them to come. In the Middle East, when you received an unexpected invitation from somebody who was higher class than you were, and everybody kind of knew where they stood, sometimes people that were noble people who were good people, but they still had their class issues, they would send out invitations to people who normally would not come. And these people knew that they were, it was, it was uh, just, just being, the guy was being nice. And so what their, their thing was is that when they got the invitation was is to feel, feel blessed that they got the invitation but realizing they really weren't invited. 
That, that's the cultural thing. It's kind of, so the thing to do, the, the proper thing to do in that situation was to say, I'm sorry, I can't come. Thank, thank you for the offer. Because I can't, I don't measure up to the standards. I'm not in the same class of the person who's throwing the party. I'm not as noble as that person. It's kind of like a few years ago, I remember going to, uh, when I was 20 years old, I was working my way through college. And I went to school a year, uh, worked a year, went to school another year, worked another year. The second year I was working, I worked as a salesman for an office supply store. Okay, here's a guy who normally my, my big meal was eating at McDonald's, okay? I mean, that's, that's a Burger King. That was really, a, you know, pigging out, you know. That was really exciting. And I remember I was a salesman at this office supply store, and we were having to go. We were going to fly up. This was my first flight ever. We were going to fly up from, from Roanoke, Virginia to Baltimore for a day to this company called Shaw Walker, which was a big furniture producer. And we were going to their showroom to learn how to sell their furniture. And then for, for lunch that day, they take us to this swanky country club. This is lunch, okay? And we walk in. Here's a guy who, you know, I grew up, you know, eating pinto beans and cornbread. Y'all even know what that is? Yeah? I had lots of that growing up, you know? Poor family. I go to this, this place, and there's, there's like a half a dozen forks on this side, half a dozen spoons. There's stuff everywhere. And I'm going, what do I do with this? I didn't have a clue, man. I didn't know which four. I didn't know how do you. Why do you need six forks or five or whatever there was? It was it was more silverware than we had in our whole family. You know, I was that kind of guy. And I'm out of I'm out of my league here. I don't know what's going on. And that's kind of what these guys felt like. I'm sure when they got this kind of invitation, it's out of my league. I don't want to go there because I'll be embarrassed because these people are out of my league. Well, see, what's happening is the master knows this is going to happen. The master knows that these people will feel that way. And so he says, this is why he says, compel them to come. He says, some people just feel like it's not, they're not worthy. They don't measure up. And so he says, when he sends out the invitation to these beggars, he says, I don't, they'll say, their, their excuse will be, I don't even know the master. He's rich, I'm poor. He's great, I'm obscure. I don't even live in the same town. I'd be hopelessly out of place at a party like, like, like I was at that lunch. That made me a laughing stock. You know, it's wonderful to be asked, of course, but I couldn't, he couldn't possibly mean it. The master understands this. He knows they won't get it. And he knows they will say, not for me. There can't be a chair around that table for me. So he says to the servants, go out and compel them. When they give you excuse, do not give up. Keep encouraging, keep helping them to see until they come. Don't give up. We're going to talk about this next week in regard to prayer. But we're not to give up. He says, compel them to come because I want my house full. Now, God says this about this little house right here called Great Oaks. He uses the same. He wants this house to be full. He wants... He wants every seat with someone who is praising God and worshiping Him. When the small groups meet, He wants every chair filled up. When, when our, when our, we go over to, we have kids over in, in Upstreet, He wants every circle full. And we're not just to be kind of like, okay, yeah, one little invitation, that's it, we'll give up. No, He says compel them to come. Don't give up. The principle behind that for you and for me is that 
what is, let me ask you a question. What is keeping the person that, that you know that doesn't come to, to go to church anywhere, that's not connected with God in any way, what is keeping that person from taking the next step spiritually? Ask yourself that question. And what is it that you need to help them to do to take that step to remove the barrier? Do they need to be picked up? I mean, I've heard this before. I don't know if it's true. You've heard statistics before. Sometimes you wonder if they're true. They said that uh, that 80% of all people, if invited to church, would come. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm I'm wondering if it's just one nice little, will you come to church, please? You might like it. Or is it this compelling type thing? When people compel other people to do it, they keep at it, they keep praying, they keep encouraging, they keep helping the person to, to, to meet the need. This morning, as we, as, as, we, as we think about how this meets, what I want to do is I want to talk about this, what this means for you and for me. Because God has called us to, to, to fill up every chair. And each one of us has, has, a, has a purpose behind that as well. For instance, this chair right here stands for the people that you might know at your office. It's kind of an office chair, okay? Who is it that's in your office that needs to know Jesus Christ? Who is it that hasn't, does not have a connection with God that you could encourage? Now, I know you've got to be careful at work about how you do this, but you can do it. You can do it. In small ways, in big ways. You, you know, what is it they need? How can you compel them? And help them. This chair could stand for, you know, maybe a mother who's, this is a rocking chair, by the way. Okay. Maybe a mother who's, who's, who lives in this community, who, who is just overwhelmed with the responsibility of being a mom. And she just needs some encouragement along the way. And who, you know, you probably, some of y'all know these. Some of you ladies particularly know other mothers who are around who are overwhelmed. What can you do? What does that person need? How can you compel them to get connected with God? Maybe it's a senior adult. Maybe it's this, it stands for that as well. Somebody in their community who is very lonely. I mean, after a while, you know, I've heard a statistic as well. The statistic like that, that uh, 80% of all persons who come to Christ come before they're 18 years old. I wonder if it's because we don't, com- we, we kind of like focus a lot, of, a lot of energy on that area, but we don't compel the people later in years. We think, oh, they're set in their ways. I'll never forget the guy, and I told this story before, but i never forget the guy. One day, one day at this church I was at in Virginia, Tabernacle Baptist Church, was there for 13 years as pastor. About 10 years into the ministry of this church, there was this one couple that came every Sunday that I was there for 10 years. Didn't have a clue what was about to happen, though, in, in their lives. And one day, when we have an invitation, we had a come forward invitation in the Baptist church there. And one day when, when I gave that invitation, this guy, Paul Plaster is his name. I don't know if Paul's still alive or not. But Paul, but Paul walked down the aisle. He was like 75 years old at that time. And he was weeping. And I'm going, maybe something terrible is happening in Paul's life. He didn't realize something great was happening in Paul's life. For the first time in all the years, after getting through for 10 years of preaching God's grace and hearing about God's love for him, he felt like he was worthy enough. He started to realize he wasn't worthy enough. And so what he did is he said, I realize I'm not worthy enough, but I have to accept God's grace. He came down to Alex to ask Jesus Christ into his life at 75 years old. Who do you know? Maybe it's a family member. 
Who is it that's sitting in this chair that you need to compel to come? Come to God? If you recognize this chair, this is not a very unusual chair, is it? It's like the one you're sitting in. Let me ask you a question. Let me just say this. I had a conversation with one of our head ushers before the service. Who do you look around and you see that, that was a person that maybe was here at one time, but they've been disconnected? Maybe during the summer they just got disconnected. Maybe the last few months, and you know they're not going anywhere else. They're not, it's not because they've left to go somewhere else, but they're disconnected. How do you compel them to connect, reconnect with God? You know, it's something It's amazing about what happens in these chairs. I cannot tell you how many stories of people who said they've sit here and connected with God in a real way and made real decisions in a chair just like this. All of us know people who maybe were once sitting in these chairs and need to be reconnected with. You need to compel them to come. You need to not just simply say, you know, pray for them. Begin there, pray for them. But begin to ask them, hey, how can I help you to get back connected with God? How can you compel them to come? And this chair over here is kind of a comfortable chair. It might be one like you have in your living room. This kind of stands for the, the chairs that we sit around in small groups in. As I said earlier, and I've already said this once, I'm not going to say it too, too strongly. Well, I will say it strongly again. Sometimes we get very comfortable with each other in a group. One of our purposes at Great Oaks is to get everybody in groups, but not just to hang out in a group forever and ever and ever. You know, it's, real, it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of uncomfortable when somebody new comes into a group. Is that true? Because you got to kind of, you don't know their story, they don't know your story. But the thing is, God calls us to reach new people all the time. There may be, there may be people who would sit in this chair before they would ever sit in that chair. Because they're kind of like the big room thing, it's kind of like, don't want to be there. But they'll come to your home and sit in this chair. Maybe it's one of the people that were sitting in this chair or this chair. They might sit here next. They might come to your home. And get connected with people. What is it? That, where is it? Who are the people that you know of that are sitting in these chairs in your life that you need to compel to come? I want to read you a, a close with a story that's true. It's about a, a little church in uh, Seoul, Korea. And about, their, uh, about how this true story about what happened um, when, when someone really felt this and really got Luke 14 in their life, and they understood this whole thing about compelling people to come and not giving up. It says, this church is a, a church that has a thriving small group ministry. The pastor of the church writes about a couple. The husband of this couple began to tell me a story of how his son had become rebellious. But then a woman from the church came to the house and began to work with the son, prayed with him, and after a while he was changed and became a Christian. The husband says, we appreciated what she'd done. She was kind and nice. And then she invited us to come to her house for a visit, saying, we had a wonderful small group. Uh, she said, we have a wonderful small group meeting in our house. We share our lives and our faith. Would you please come? It's very informal. So out of appreciation for what they'd done for our son, we went. We, we enjoyed ourselves, but after the meeting was over, we didn't think much more about it. We just thought it was a nice evening with our neighbors. The next week, this lady invited us again, so we thought it would be all right to go again because we enjoyed it the first time. But we never really considered committing ourselves on a regular basis. Then on a Saturday night, she called us again and said, Tomorrow is Sunday. Won't you come with me to our church? We have a great time. The next day, she came in her car and honked the horn. So we went. So we went. After it was all over, we were, when we were home again, I said to my wife, Well, that was a fine church, I guess, but it was too noisy. I don't think we should go there anymore. 
Then the pastor writes, he, they didn't realize at the time that they were already hooked. The next week, the small group leader went and invited him to come back again. In the small group meeting, she said, I'll pick you up again next Sunday for church. Didn't ask, didn't ask if she wanted to be picked up. She just said, I'll pick you up for church. The husband said, we tried to make excuses, but we were very politely refused to accept them. Apparently, she had read Luke 14, and she knew all the excuses that uh, people gave. So week after week, we found ourselves going to the small group meetings with this leader, but all the time we felt uncomfortable. Finally, we decided to sell our house and move. <laughs> True story. That is extreme. Okay, they called a real estate broker. True story. Sold the house, left the neighborhood, all without the knowledge of the small group leader. They took up residence in a distant part of the city of Seoul, which is several million people, which you can do. And the husband said to his wife, at last we're free of that lady. <laughs> they thought. The next week, the leader, the small group leader, went to invite them to the small group meeting, but found that the house was empty. But she was not ready to give up for, uh, on them for Jesus, she said, because she remembered what it says, compel them to come in. So she went to the town hall and found their new address. And then she found someone from the church who lived in the same area. The husband says, I couldn't believe it. There, there, there we were on a Friday night enjoying our freedom. And when there was a knock on the door, I opened it. And there was this lady who said, welcome to our area. I'm from, and she names the church, same church. Tonight we're coming to your house to celebrate. You're, you're coming to the neighborhood. They did it in that culture, by the way. That wasn't something strange. So they came and they held a service in our home. They prayed for our new home. And after everybody left, I said to my wife, what are we going to do to avoid this church? We're either going to have to move to America or go to heaven. <laughs> my wife said, well, if we cannot avoid them, I guess the only thing we can do is join them. Then he and his wife told the pastor how they realized that really they had been running, not from the small group but from, or from the church, they had been running from God. And when they found they could not escape, they surrendered. That's what it means to compel people. Don't give up. Persistence. God says to us, each one of us, can compel them to come in. I mean, we've got to use discernment. We don't be obnoxious, but compel them nicely to come in. The master says, bring in the blind, the crippled, the hungry, the lame. He says, bring in the doubting, the confused, the lonely, the lost, the stubborn, the cynics, the difficult the difficult, and the proud, and the hopeless. Because everyone needs to be forgiven. Bring them in. You see, the Master says there's a chair for everybody. And we don't give up. And we don't quit. And we don't just focus on ourselves. But God says, once again, love God, love people. And if you do that, you'll go out. You'll go into the world. Not just stay here. That's the call that God has given us as believers. It's the call he's given to us as churches, as families, as youth groups. He calls us to go. Because there's people who don't think they're invited to the party. But they are because God calls all of us. No matter who we are and what we've done. And he calls us as believers to go and be used by him to compel them to come. Next week we're going to talk about this whole thing of where that starts. There's another parable that talks about the persistent friend, about don't, giving, don't give up. Because I'm, I'm, you know, aren't you glad that somebody didn't give up on you? 
Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.